Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the greed of Balaam as we pick up in Numbers chapter 24, verse 21. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. The book of Jude in the New Testament. The book of Jude, we are commanded, and the central message of the book of Jude is keep yourself in the love of God. And we are given examples of three persons who failed to keep themselves in the love of God. Korah, Cain, and Balaam. And of Balaam it said, because of his greed, his desire for the riches that the king was offering, that they have gone the way of Balaam, and it's referred to as the way of Balaam, who for reward for the greed that was there, the desire for the riches, prostituted himself to the king. He was bought off. In Revelation chapter 2, as the Lord deals with the church of Pergamos, uh, God said to Pergamos that they had there those who held to the doctrine of Balaam. Uh, verse 14, I have a, uh, chapter 2, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So the doctrine of Balaam, idolatry and spiritual fornication that Balaam set the king Balak up to do. Now it doesn't tell us right in immediately in our text that this is what happened, but by looking at other scriptures, now we understand the next chapter and what is brought out in this next chapter. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 15, Peter also makes mention of Balaam. And he's talking about the false prophets. There will be many of them. False teachers who privately will bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord. And many will follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth is evil spoken of. And through covetousness, shall with feigned words or deceitful words make merchandise of you. Every religious system or every so-called prophet of God who seeks to make merchandise of you through deceitful words is a false prophet, and you can tell them easily. They are using these deceitful words to get you to support them. And I believe that every computerized letter sent out by these men is guilty of feigned words. Dear Charles, I have a friend that was here this week, an editor of Christianity Today, and he said they get the same computerized letters that says, Dear Mr. Today, <laughs> I've been thinking about you this past week. Is everything all right today? <laughs> 
Now please go out and borrow $25 and send it to me because I'm desperate. Those are feigned words and the purpose is to make merchandise of you. The Bible classifies them as false prophets. What is feigned words? It's saying something you don't really mean. Oh, all of you beautiful children, I love you. <laughs> you don't even know me. How can you love me? Feigned words, fair speeches, seeking to make merchandise out of people. Now, among these false prophets, Peter warns us, that actually they are much like Balaam, which, verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The guy loved the wealth. A false prophet taking the monies and using it for his own enrichment prostituting his ministry. And so he advised the king this way. He said, look, Balak, I can't go into a little spiritual trip and, and bring a curse. God won't allow me to do that. But these people, their strength lies in the fact that they worship one God. And God honors them, and God has taken them as his people. But the God that they worship is a very jealous God. And if they start worshiping other gods, then his wrath will come upon them, and he'll destroy them. So here's what you got to do. Take a lot of the beautiful young girls that are here and send them down and let them flirt with the young guys and let them entice the young fellows into acts of fornication. And when they get them all involved in these kind of acts, then let the girls bring out their little gods and say, look, these are the gods that we worship. You want to see how we worship these gods? And their gods were worshiped in sex acts. Many of the pagan religious systems the, the actual sex act was a part of the worship of the goddess Venus and Aphrodite and some of these other pagan gods. And, and, and in the sex act itself were spiritual rites of these religions. So let us show you how we worship our gods. And so the king followed the advice of the prophet, and that brings us into chapter 25. And as Israel was abiding there at Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people into the sacrifices of their gods. You see, they got the young guys, come on, and, and, and go with me to the sacrifice of my God. And the people did eat, and they bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, or the Lord of Peor. Peor was the name of the mountain there. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord said unto Moses, Take all of the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. In other words, cut off the heads of these guys that are doing it, hang them up in the sun that my anger might be turned away. 
And Moses said to the judges of Israel, slay every one his men that were joined to Baal Peor, every man that joined in those rites. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Here these guys were weeping and repenting before God for what was done. And here comes this guy in with a prostitute. Right there where they could all see him. Into his tent, all excited and all. And so Phineas, the son of Eliezer, he actually was the grandson of Aaron. When he saw it, he jumped up and grabbed his javelin and went over to the tent and thrust the guy through and the woman through, both of them in their tent. And so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. But those that died of the plague were 24,000. So Balaam was successful in bringing a curse in a secondary way. And by his advice to the king, he laid a stumbling block before God's people so that when Moab was conquered and the Midianites were conquered and they were slain, Balaam was slain with them. Now God said because of Phineas's heroic deeds and righteous deeds and the killing of these people, this man and this woman, he said, I'm going to give to Phineas the son of peace and the priesthood will come through his family, the covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and he made the atonement for the children of Israel. And so it gives us the name of the man and the woman. He was of the tribe of Simeon. Now in chapter 26, we again have the tribes numbered off. Now remember, this is at the end of the 40 years of wandering. At the beginning of the 40 years of wandering, they numbered the tribes. And now at the end of the 40 years of wandering, they numbered the tribes again. And it is interesting to compare the number of people at the beginning and at the end. And actually, there's a total loss uh, of people of about uh, 2,000, approximately 2,000 less at the end of the 40 years wandering. But some of the tribes, they, they were really wiped out, quite really decimated. Other of them actually grew in number through the wilderness wanderings. Towards the end of the chapter, in verse 59, we get a little history of Moses' family. Uh, his father's name was Amram. His mother's name was Jochebed. She had three children, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. And it gives you a little history of Aaron's family, the two sons again that died, Nadab and Abihu, who offered the strange fire before the Lord. And now that generation has passed away. There's no one left except for Moses, of course, is still alive, and Joshua and Caleb. But all of those that came out of Egypt who were 20 years old or older have now all died with the exception of these three men. Moses is soon to die before they go into the land. Then there came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer. 
Now, what had happened is that the dad had seven daughters but no sons. And as they were dividing off the land, they were giving the sons the portions. The oldest son would get the portions over. And so these gals said, hey, now wait a minute, it's not fair. We, we have equal rights, you know. And our dad didn't have any son. If you don't give us any land, then my father's name will die in Israel. So Moses said, well, we'll take it before the Lord. See what the Lord says? The Lord says, these gals are right. Give them the inheritance of the family. And so they won their case, and uh, the daughters of Zelophehad received the inheritance. So God's with you gals, and he's looking after you, and you've got a just cause. But unfortunately, these radical women are taking it far beyond God's, you know. I mean, there is, there is that which is right, but then there is that taking it beyond and far beyond what God ever intended. So balance is such an important thing. So he gave the law then of the inheritance. If there is no son, then it goes to the daughters. If there are no daughters or sons, then it goes to a man's brothers. If he has no brothers, then it'll go to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then it comes to the next of kin, whoever is closest in the family to him. Now the Lord said to Moses, Get up to the Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, there also you'll be gathered to your people and as Aaron your brother was gathered. For you rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to properly represent me at the water before their eyes. That is, the waters of Meribah in Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So Moses, get up the mountain, you get to look at the land, but then you're going to die. You're not going to be able to go in because of your misrepresenting of me there at the water of Meribah, the waters of strife. Moses said unto the Lord, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Now, this is an interesting little verse. Let the, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. From this little verse, the Mormons have developed their whole doctrine of the eternal spirit of man, that you actually existed in heaven, your spirit existed there in heaven, and then God made a body for you and put your spirit in it to see whether or not you could become a god by becoming a Mormon. And uh, you have no memory of your pre-existence in heaven, but all of you pre-existed in heaven as spirits. But there was no way of telling up there whether or not you'd be a good or bad, so he put you in a body and, and let you you know, prove yourself down here. And if you become a good Mormon, wear your underwear and all, <laughs> then you will be God. And you and your wives that are sealed to you can go to some planet and you can have your own little kingdom that you can watch over and you'll be God over that planet and you can develop it however you wish and so forth. So that whole doctrine, it comes out of this one little verse. I really don't see it in this verse. <laughs> Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, but it doesn't say anything about the spirits pre-existing with God, or being in heaven before or anything. He's just the God of the spirits of all flesh. 
Set a man over the congregation which may go before them, which may lead them out, which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord will not be like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And so the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him. And set him before Eliezer the priest and before the congregation and give him charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him that all of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim from the Lord. Now the Urim was a little thing that the priest wore, a little pouch of some kind, uh, that they sought counsel from God through the use of the Urim and the Thummim. Lights and perfections is what the words Urim and Thummim mean. And some believe that there was just a little pouch and one had a white, and, and it had a white stone and a black stone. And that when they would ask the Lord a question, the priest would say, now God, show us which one, and he would pull out a stone. If it was a white stone, God would say yes. Then they'd ask the next question. And, you know, they'd mix up the stones, he'd pull out a stone again, and they would get yes, no answers. So it was sort of a 21-question kind of a thing where you get yes, no answers to then ascertain the will of the Lord. Now, God had a more direct relationship with Moses. God said, hey, there's no one like this before or after where I really speak to the fellow sort of a face-to-face. -face. I mean, direct speaking in a very powerful way. Now Joshua, who is to lead the people, he is to come before Eliezer the priest who will inquire of the Lord in questions. David so often would go to the priest to inquire, shall we go into battle against them? Uh, and then uh, what time of the day shall we start the battle? And they would ask all of these questions of God uh, in order uh, to determine the will of the Lord. And it was oftentimes determined by the priest inquiring and by the use of the Urim, these lights and perfections. So just what the Urim and the Thummim actually is, is not told us. That's what people surmise that it was, but exactly we don't know. Surely it wasn't a pair of glasses <laughs> by which you can read hieroglyphics when you put them on. Hocus pocus. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, set him before Eliezer, and before all the congregation, he laid his hands upon him and gave him the charge of the Lord as he was commanded. So he brought Moses, laid his, I mean Joshua laid his hands upon him and signifying that Joshua was now to begin to take Moses' place as the leader of the people. Now in the 28th chapter, God sort of reiterates some of the commandments concerning the sacrifices. Every day they were to offer, every day of the year, they were to offer two lambs as a sacrifice unto the Lord. One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the evening. One during the morning oblations or prayers, another during the evening oblations or prayers. And so twice a day at least, there were these two lambs that were offered and the smoke would go up with the prayers of the people as the sweet-smelling incense before the Lord. And they would offer daily, in the morning and evening, a lamb. That was just a daily and year, you know, every day of the year, this would occur. However, on the first day of the month, then they were to offer more animals on the first day of every month. 
they were to offer two bullocks, one ram, and seven lambs of the first year without spot. And then they were in the Passover time to offer uh, the animals, the, the, the goats, and, and all uh, in the Passover time. And then also for the first fruits or Pentecost, uh, he gives them the orders of the animals that were to be offered during that period. So chapter 28 deals with the sacrifices, the type of animals, the type of drink offering, and meal offerings that were to be offered to God daily and then annually on special occasions. And so just sort of a repetition of some of the earlier commands that we had in Leviticus, just sort of reinforcing that which he had commanded earlier. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Numbers 24 through 28 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May God bless you and just give you a beautiful week. May you experience, really, the living presence of the living God within your life. Not needing any relics, but just be conscious of the nearness of God and of God's great love wherein He loves you. He loves you so much that He doesn't see anything wrong with you. Isn't that neat? (laughs) Man. That's more my wife loves me. (laughs) And she loves me an awful, awful lot. Oh, so glorious to be walking with the Lord and serving Him. May God just fill your life with joy, praises, and thanksgiving all week long. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. God is looking for someone that he can use to accomplish his purposes on this earth. The apostles were more than willing to be used by the Lord. So what was it that gave them the certain spiritual characteristics necessary to be used by God and to be a powerful, godly influence to change the world? Well, in a book entitled The Man God Uses, Pastor Chuck Smith brings the scriptures to life as he examines the book of Acts. 
He reveals the secret to the apostles' boldness, the five essential components of prayer, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever wanted to accomplish more for the kingdom of God and to be an instrument that he can use, then I encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Man God Uses. To order a copy of this book in print or download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call the word for today at 800-272-9673.